Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Well, amen. Didn't the worship team do just a fantastic job? Can we thank them one more time? Man, it is a good day to be in the house of God. And Michael and Abby, wherever you're at, one of the privileges, we love you as a church family, one of the privileges of my preaching ministry and my time here at Southern Hills has been to preach after they set the table, after they set the heart for worship. Amen. Uh, Man, I can preach after that. So I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. And I want to ask you a question before we start off this morning. You be honest with me. Today is Sunday, November 6th. But how many of you feel like, like summer just ended like school just started back, like time is flying by. Like how many can be honest and say, man, where has it gone? Like, wasn't it 90, like like two weeks ago or something? And now it's negative, you know, 13 or whatever it is out there um, overnight. And then it warms up to 70, the beauty of Vegas, you know? Uh, So we're excited to be here. It it, it really is hard to believe. I know you'll hear a lot of this over the next couple of weeks, but it's November, which means Thanksgiving, right answer, right answer. I'm not even going to ask the whole like Christmas music before or after. I'm not even going to get into that, right? But it's Thanksgiving. The holidays are upon us. It, 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 it's really hard to believe that time is just flying by. And I don't think it's an accident that we're in the last series of our sermon series called The Art of Being Unordinary. And I don't think it's an accident as we've been studying verse by verse. I think the Holy Spirit has done something special here this morning as we are about to study the story of Mary and Martha. And I think it's intentional. I think it's unique as we, as we lean in on this because sometimes it feels like as the world spins faster, we're all just kind of looking for a way to, to sometimes just slow it down. You know what I mean? Like, like we're looking for the pause button on life just to be like, okay, we just need to chill for a moment. We just need to, to hang out. And in this story, as we study the last sermon in the series, Unordinary, to the title of today's sermon is this, Unordinary Religion. Or you could put it this way, Unordinary Faith, because I know for some people, religion kind of gives us, you know, the heebie-jeebies, right? So um, Unordinary Faith. Or I like this subtitle, and it's straight from the text. We're going to talk about what this means, the good part. You know what I'm talking about? Like, as the holidays come and as we spend time with family, how many know there are good parts to that, right? The, the parts that we want to lean into and, and the parts that we just, we just want to savor. Right now, my daughter just turned two like a week ago. And I had a son that's two, he's four now, but even my son at two, like he wanted to wrestle. I come home and I tell my daughter like, hey, give daddy some snuggles and she'll come lay on me and just give me little snuggles. Like that's the good part. You know what I'm talking about? And I, I think in life, I, I think there are good parts that God wants us as, as faith followers, as Jesus followers, there are good parts that God says, I want you to lean into this and not necessarily lean into the opposite or the other parts, right? And so let's dive right in this morning. As our world spins faster, as the holidays are upon us, let's dive in. And and here's the overarching idea that we're trying to get to. Jesus invites us as his followers to live life in an unordinary way. And that unordinary way 
in the story of Mary and Martha is to live from a place of rest and not for a place of rest. We're going to look at the difference in the approach to everyday life, one that Jesus reprimands and the other that Jesus rewards, and how these two Jesus followers named Mary and Martha go about it in the story. Luke chapter 10 is where we're at this morning. Luke 10. The Bible says, Luke 10, 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him. And said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I find it very interesting and not at all circumstantial that Jesus' words to Mary and Martha are that Mary has chosen that good part. I think it's fair to ask ourselves this question as life speeds up over the next couple of months. Are we choosing the good part? As we get together with relatives over the holidays, as we see family, you may say, you haven't met my family. There are no good parts. No, you, you may say, as we get together, are we leaning in? Are, are we focusing? Is what is growing in our life the good parts or the opposite? Let's look at this first from the perspective of Martha. We see this, number one, we'll dive right in. Martha's approach to life is this, the approach of work. Now, how many of you ever heard the, the, this teaching or this story of Mary and Martha? How many of you ever heard Martha taught from the perspective of she's the villain, she's the bad guy in the story? You don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. I, I think most times I've heard this taught, most times I've studied this, most times the context that my Western eyes read a very Middle Eastern story in a very different culture, a lot of times I read this and I'm like, oh yeah, I read the end, Mary's in the right, which means Martha must be in the wrong. But that's not at all what the text is saying. As a matter of fact, as we start to study this out, before we give Martha too hard of a time, we need to understand this. Martha is not the villain. Uh, First, we see this as we look at the scripture. We see that Martha welcomes Jesus into her house. Good thing or bad thing? That's a good thing. Jesus knocks on your door and says, hey, it's November. Who are you voting for? I'm just kidding. He's not going to do that. But (laughs) Jesus knocks on your door and you welcome him in, guess what? That's a good thing. Martha's a good person. So Martha welcomes Jesus into her house, and then Martha welcomes him in into where? Into the house of Lazarus? No. Into the house of Mary? No. It actually says that Martha is the one who superintends. Martha is the one who oversees the house. Most scholars believe that Martha was probably widowed and that her brother Lazarus and her sister Mary lived with her. It was very common in that time for families to live together in a multifamily home. Do you know why? Because the Roman Federal Reserve kept announcing interest rate hikes. And so the real estate, just kidding. All right, that's my last one. All right, real estate joke. Okay, uh, but it was very common in this time for, for homes to be multifamily homes. And so they all lived together, but it was, it was noted, clearly noted in scripture that this was not Lazarus's home. This was not Mary's home. This was the home of Martha. So we see this about Martha. Martha is responsible. 
Martha's not the villain. Martha's not the bad guy. Martha is a responsible person. She welcomes him into her house. Then we see Martha's not only responsible, but Martha is hospitable. Uh, look, look at the, the phrase there. Look, look at what it says. Specifically, Luke says about Martha. We'll, we'll remove the, it says Martha was distracted. Forget the distracted for a moment. It says, what was she doing? She was much serving, much serving. Good thing or bad thing? Good thing. Man, serving people, serving, uh, being hospitable, uh, serving others, serving in the church, good things. So Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Martha is engaged in a good thing. Martha is doing much serving. She's not just responsible, but we see that she's hospitable. Martha is the person that you want running your event. Martha is the person that you want organizing your party. Uh, Martha is the person who shows up and always gives and never asks. She's the one who shows up early and says, hey, what can I help with? How can I serve? And the 15 things that you haven't done yet, you're like, oh, yes, Martha, I'm so glad you're here. You can do these things, right? Martha's the good person, responsible, hospitable. Then we see this. Martha is aware and active. Oftentimes we can read this from the perspective of, oh, they were sisters. I bet there was some bad blood in there somewhere. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Like she's just jealous of Mary in the moment. No, no. Martha has to be aware. It's her house. It's her event. She has to know what everybody's doing in this moment. All of all the people who are working with her or for, for her, all the family members who are there helping serve, she knows where everyone's at. And as she's overseeing her event, she notices, hey, Mary, I assigned Mary this role and Mary is not doing this thing, whatever it is. Martha's the perfect employee. Martha's the person you want on your team. So you can say, yeah, go tell them to work harder, <laughs> right? Very much in our culture, very much in our society, Martha is aware, she's active, she's hospitable, she's responsible. Watch this. Martha is the default doer that we become when we focus on what and not on who. Now, let me illustrate that for you. A couple of years ago, actually like a year and a half ago, it was 2021, um, spring of 2021, and uh, my family was going to go on a trip. We had a couple of former students who were graduating, and so uh, we thought, you know what, hey, let, let's travel, let's, let's uh, go on this trip, let's go see them do it. So I had a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old son and a six-month-old daughter at the time. My, my wife and I thought, hey, uh, let's fly and let's go make this trip. Mistake number one. And then uh, we got to the airport and we're like, yeah, we can do this. And, you know, we thought, hey, uh, let's go visit them. Where do we want to go on this trip? Where are they graduating from? So we um, flew all the way, not to the West Coast, not to the Midwest. We flew all the way to Florida. Mistake number two. <laughs> okay, so I've got a, just make sure you track it with me. I've got a two and a half year old and a one, uh, uh, six month old. And you can see there Gatlin, my son, in the, in the furthest seat, the window seat. He was amazed with planes. Um, he actually was looking out at the planes at one point and waving. And someone on the tarmac actually waved back at him. And he's like, oh, they're real people. They're not Legos. You know, like it, his mind's blown. And so my wife there, and she has our six month daughter right there. And our six month daughter, we're loading on the plane. It's like 7 a.m. Our six month daughter, Scotland, has just fallen asleep on her. And we're like, okay, we got the airport on time. Everything's going well. Uh, we were flying Southwest. So, you know, we got, uh, I think it was 160 check-ons free and like 1,300 bags for free. You know what I mean? Like it's Southwest, right? So uh, we, just, we just hooked the house up on a trailer and brought it and loaded it under the plane, right? Uh, so we're there. We finally get all our luggage on. We get all together. We get on the plane. Of course, this is early 2021. So it's the post-COVID travel era right? Where everybody has to be masked. Like, like you've got to have it on. You can see like, I'm cautiously holding my mask for fear of someone coming along and saying, put your mask back on, you know? And so, uh, we've got our mask. We're, we're on there. My son had just turned two. He'd been two for, he was two, two and a half. So he had to wear a mask. 
So we're like, all right, we can do this. So we, so we get there, we get on the plane, everything's going relatively smooth, no big deal. We get all checked in and we're like, okay, th- this, this is gonna happen. Matter of fact, even going through the gate was easy. So we get there, my daughter falls asleep on my wife. We're like, perfect, it's our nap time. This is gonna happen. So we get there and just as the plane is about to take off, the stewardess comes walking down and taps my wife on the shoulder and says, hey, your daughter actually can't be strapped to you. She has to be taken out of that and turned around. So my sweet little six-month-old daughter who is sleeping was turned around and she was not a sweet little six-month-old sleeping baby anymore. <laughs> she was, what happens when you wake up a sweet little six-month-old baby? You know what I mean? She's like, what are you doing? You know? So she turns around to her like, okay, we can do this, we can do this. And so we get loaded up and, and, and the plane takes off and we're like, okay, we've got a layover. The layover's in Dallas. So I know Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. God's gonna provide a way when we get there. And so we deplane for an hour and sure enough, there's a Chick-fil-A. God is good, you know? <laughs> so we get off the plane and we go to Chick-fil-A and we get the order and we're like, we got this and, and, and we get it and we're getting ready to go back on the plane. And my, sh- my, my son is, you know, shoving nuggets in his face. And as we go get back on the plane, the, the, the flight person stops us and is like, hold on, he has to have his mask on. And so we're like, okay, all right. Gatlin, chew the nugget. Chew, chew, chew. You know what I mean? Like, like, what do you do? So he finishes. And so we put the mask on. And so we get back on the plane and we're like, okay, halfway there, baby. Halfway there, we can make it. And so we get up in the air, we hit a little bit of turbulence. Now my six-month-old daughter who, who missed her nap time is now beginning to show the signs that she missed her nap time. She refuses to take another nap in the next leg of the trip. And so we're like, okay, th- this, is, this is going well. So finally, we land in Florida and we're like, okay, we can do it. We're almost there. We're, we're going to make this happen. And so we're deplaning and, and we deplane and we get to the, you know, we hit a little turbulence as you're coming down out of the air. Um, kids can sometimes struggle with, with as you're, the, you know, the descent and all that stuff because their um, nasal passages, all that, their sinuses aren't fully formed. And so we come down, they're both crying. We're like, all right, we can do this. It, it's going to happen. We get off the plane. And so we're waiting at the front and we're waiting for them to bring us our stroller because we checked our stroller in. And during the time, my son actually had a little, I think we've got a picture of this as well. He actually had a little, a cool little like luggage thing that he rides on. So my wife had found this, I don't know, somewhere on Instagram or YouTube when she was doing her devotions or something like that. And so she'd found it. (laughs) And so it was a good buy. So she got it, no big deal. And and so we're like, great, this is awesome. And you can see he can ride on it, but he's two and a half years. So you can see his foot's kind of arched. He can barely touch the ground. So he can ride on it, but it's not like, you know, like off to the races, like he's got to be pulled. So we get off and we're waiting for a stroller and they say, hey, actually your stroller ended up getting checked. You can pick up your stroller in baggage claim. So I'm at one end of the airport. Baggage claim is at the other end of the airport. And I've got two kids, a six month old and a two and a half year old. And I've got everything. I mean, just, just like, like everything that we had carried on with us. And I'm like, okay, somehow this is cute. This is mine. And um, somehow I'm like, I've, I've got to get from here to the other end. And I'm, you know, like looking down and I'm like, okay, this dad bod is actually a father figure. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen, you know? So I'm like, I'm like strapping everything to me and I'm like grabbing hold of things. And my wife has my six month old daughter and she has the, the diaper bag. And so I'm like, okay, Hey, we're good. And then I remember my son actually has to be pulled as well. So I'm like, okay, buddy, we can, we can make this happen. Welcome to war, soldier. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I'm like, we're going to make this happen. This, this is going to, this is going to make, make it, we're going to make it happen. And so I'm like, all right, Gatlin, hold on, buddy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like pulling him along and I'm like, okay, we, we, we can do this. We, we got this. And I come around the first corner 
And as I come around the first corner, everything that I'm carrying comes around the first corner, except for my son, who's riding on this thing. And as we come around the corner, I do, but he keeps going the other way. You know what I mean? Like, like his momentum takes him in the direction I'm not going. And so he keeps going the other way and kind of rolls into the crowd a little bit. And I'm like, see you on the return trip, buddy. You know, no, I'm like, I'm like, okay. So I take everything and, and I put everything down. And I'm like, how do I even get all this on? And so I put everything down and I'm like, okay, son, here we go. And so I put my son back on the little, you know, uh, uh, contraption here and I get him and I'm like, okay, we got this. All right. And we can do this. Like, like, here we go. Come on. When the tough get, when, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Here we go. All right. And so I'm loading everything up and I'm like, all right, I got, I got all our bags and I got everything. And I'm like, all right, Gatlin, I got you this time, buddy. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go. And so we keep on going and we come around another sharp corner and guess what happens this time. And I don't know why I'm hurrying. I don't know why I do this to my, this stuff to myself, but I'm still hurrying. And this time, as I come around the other corner, my son doesn't roll off. My son bounces off. You know what I mean? Like, like he hits the floor and bounces. And I look back and there's my wife standing there looking at me. And the words that she was thinking are not found in the Bible. And so she was looking at me and she's like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And I'm like, what am I doing? And I look over and as my son bounces, he lands at the feet of four ladies. And I'm like, Lord, help me. I will see you soon. Because not only do I have to deal with the the wrath of my wife, but there's these four ladies that are looking on and judging me. And all four ladies look at me and they come over and they're like, hey, we are four moms on a mom's trip. We got you. We can do this. And all of my dad pride is like, okay, please help me. <laughs> and they, they're like, we got this. And they all like take a bag. And like one of them is pulling my son now and he's just having a blast. He's like, they're cool, daddy. You're the worst, you know? And so we finally, we get there and we make it to baggage claim and we get there and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that we got through that. And my wife's like, what were you doing? Like, like, what were you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, I was just, I was just trying to get there. Now in this moment, watch this. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that. You say, no, I am a responsible parent. I love my children. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but here's what I do know. In that moment, my stress was at a level, like, like I was just stressed and, and I, I just knew I had to get there. Watch this. In that moment, before we sit comfortably in our seat on Sunday morning and judge Martha, the reality is that's the level of stress Martha's feeling in this moment because she's owning it, right? And so we're walking through life and oftentimes I find myself walking through life and I walk through life like this and it's really easy to judge Martha, but most of us walk through life like this and we're carrying things that other people have given us and we're trying to get to a destination and we're not really sure if that's the destination we want to go to, but this is where life has us right now and we're walking through life. And as we come to this story of Martha, the reality is this is what Jesus is trying to teach Martha. He's trying to teach her that the approach to work will often lead to the aftermath of worry. See, Martha's approach to work was, I've just got to get all this done, and it led her to the aftermath of worry. I like this quote by Claire Cleary. Sometimes your pace keeps you from actually being present where you are. You feel behind while trying to get ahead, and everything feels pressured. Pause. Call your attention to this moment. It's the only place you can make a difference in right now. The reality is, I am Martha. And the reality is, so are you. Because Martha is ordinary. Martha is the regular way that we all approach life as we pick up all the labels we've been handed and all the responsibilities we've been handed and all the work we've been handed and everything on our to-do list that we've been handed and we try to make it through the day. Martha is ordinary. Martha is your and my default mode. 
Martha is what we come pre-programmed with in our settings. You know what I mean? Like when we wake up and you're like, yeah, I wish my teen came pre-programmed as a Martha. I wish they'd be responsible and care for other people and all those other things. But I promise you inside all of us is this desire to do. And Martha's and my ordinary approach to work led us to the aftermath of worry. And here's the reality. We all worry. Again, it's our default setting. For Martha, she was worried about her significance. For Martha, she was worried about her reputation. For Martha, she was worried about her to-do list. For Martha, she was worried about her responsibilities. My question for you and my question for me this morning is, what are you worried about? What, what is it in life that you're carrying and as you show up to your work meetings and as you show up at home and as you wake up in the morning, you're carrying all these things. It's the last thing you think of before you go to bed at night. First thing you think of when you wake up, what is it for you? Maybe it's not work. Maybe for you it's relationships. It's a friend or a family member who you've fallen out with and, and you just don't know where it's going or how it's all going to work out. Uh, maybe for you it's whether or not you'll find the right partner or spouse. Maybe you've been in a relationship and you're out of one right now. Maybe you're looking for a relationship or maybe you're in a relationship and you're wondering, do I have the right partner or spouse? These are the worries that we carry with us. Maybe for you, you've been in a relationship for a while and it's just whether or not your spouse still loves you. You're wondering this question. You're carrying these burdens, this baggage. Maybe for you, it's not relationships. For you, maybe it's finances or your vocation. You wonder, how am I going to pay the rent or the mortgage? Whether or not you're going to keep your job or whether or not you have any job security. Maybe for you, it's as you look um, towards the next several years, you're worried about your savings and your investments and your retirement portfolio. And you think about it and you're worried about it and you're carrying it with you. Uh, maybe for you, it's not whether or not you have job security. Maybe you lead or own a company and you're worried about whether or not you can keep your employees employed. You're worried about their families as it comes up to Christmas time and you want to be able to give them more, but you just don't know how. Maybe for you, it's you're stuck in a job and yes, it's paying the bills, but you know you need to find a new job, one that gives you life and purpose and vitality. Maybe for you, it's as you work, it's meeting work targets and, and meeting goals and carrying this stress with you. And you're like, yeah, how, how am I going to make this happen? Maybe for you, it's debt and you just feel like you'll never get out of it or credit cards or whatever it is. Maybe for you, it's not relationships or finances. Maybe for you, it's just you. You look in the mirror and you're like, man, I just, I don't like, I don't like what I see. And, and maybe it's just worried about getting older. You're like, man, I, I used to have so much youth and vitality and I, I feel like I don't anymore. Maybe you feel like you're just aging in appearance or maybe it's your diet and you're just not happy with, with what you see and who you are right now. Maybe you worry about when you walk into a room, do others think I'm attractive or not? We have a society that tends to add value based on what you look like and that weighs heavy on you. Maybe for you, it's not yourself or your body image. Maybe for you, it's mentally. Maybe for you, when you wake up, you just seem and you just feel generally unhappy. You have low energy levels and you feel like your house of cards can fall at any time and you're not really sure what to do with it. And you're carrying all this burden and stress and, and weight and, and you're bringing it with you and you're walking through life and, and Jesus sees you. And this morning, Jesus is just calling out to you and saying, hey, listen, you're worried, you're, you're burdened, you're overwhelmed by a lot of things, but Mary has chosen that good part. There's something better for you and there's something better for me. I like what Claire Cleary says about this worry, this anxiety, this baggage that we all carry with us. She says this, anxiety stems from underestimating the security, sovereignty, and supernatural power of God. That's why God's presence is the gateway to peace. You're reminded of who is in control. Amen. And in this moment for Martha, as she's 
worried and as she's carrying all these things, look at what Jesus says specifically in the passage. If, if we reread the story, it says, verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? We're gonna unpack that in a, in a little bit, that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are distracted. You're doing too much. That's not what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, if your to-do list would just shorten, if you would just be like a little more laissez-faire and just get along good. No, no, no. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Jesus is not trying to change Martha's personality. Jesus is trying to give Martha some perspective. Listen to you. Don't come to church and think, all right, I've got to fit into whatever, whatever personality the preacher has, whatever personality my small group leader has, whatever personality my, my favorite teacher on uh, Instagram or YouTube is. I, I've got to fit in their personality. No, no, God made you you. God made you unique. God made you specifically. But listen to me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to offer you perspective. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a life lesson for you to grow in. So instead, he says this. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Here's the question that you need to look into the mirror of God's word this morning and ask yourself, what baggage am I carrying? What in life is weighing me down? What, what is making me worried? What labels have I accepted and, and am I walking through life with that God never intended for me to carry? Because in this moment, he says, I've got something different for you. The axiom of this story is about to happen. Jesus, in essence, says, you know, everything in your life that you're worried about. For Martha, it was her serving, her house, her responsibilities, her identity, her awareness. It was everything. And by the way, let's look at the signs that Martha exhibits in this moment of her work and life and what she's doing, becoming her identity, being out of, out of balance. The first sign is she judges herself by her intentions and others by their actions. It's when you look at you and you're like, well, I mean to do well, and well, I didn't mean anything by that, and this is what I was actually trying to do. You judge yourself by your intentions, but if someone else says something, if someone else shows up, or whatever the case is, you judge them by your actions, by their actions. How about this? Mary says to Martha, do you not care? I, th I think if we're, if we're really honest, there are moments in our life, moments in our story, chapters in our, in our book, in our narrative, where we genuinely are like, God, what is going on here? God, I invested in my kids. God, I loved on them. God, I taught them the word. God, what is going on here? God, I, I work hard at work and this person gets a promotion. This person gets a promotion. God, I can't figure it out. What is happening? God, I look at our world and I can't seem to answer it. I can't seem to figure it out. And the reality is all these things go back to we think God doesn't see us or doesn't care about us. How about this? Our life is chaotic and not calm. Our interactions are critical and not constructive. And the turning point of this story is when Jesus looks at Martha and says, hey, everything that you're worried about, all, all of your, the, the root is worry, right? For her, the fruit is productivity. I, I don't know what your fruit is. I don't know what you're making yourself busy with. I think it's interesting that in this passage, they use the word distraction. I don't know what you're distracting yourself with. That is the fruit. Your distractions are the fruit, but deep down there, there's a root, Maybe for you, it's some, something, it's a label that someone said when you're in third or fourth grade, and now you really believe, man, yeah, I, I am just a problem child. Man, I am just the rebel. I am just the person that, that really will never have any significance. I, I'm not the good kid. I am the bad kid in the story. I don't know what it is for you that you've picked up. Maybe you had a, had a boss that told you, hey, you can't do this. You, you can't make this work. I don't know the labels that you're carrying, but watch this. As Martha carries 
her worries with her, Jesus then says, look at Mary's approach to life. Mary's approach to life was not the approach to work that leads to the aftermath of worry. And again, maybe for you it's not work. Maybe for you it's an identity. Maybe for you it's an attitude. Uh, Maybe for you it's a relationship. Whatever it is that you're carrying that's, that's worrisome to you, watch this. Mary's approach was not the one that led her to the aftermath of worry. Instead, Mary approached everything from, and here's our last and final point, the altar of worship. See, Mary inverted the formula, and instead of her saying, I have to get all this stuff done before I get to Jesus, she laid all of her labels and all of her burdens and all of her baggage at the feet of Jesus and just said, Jesus, teach me so that I can work through this. Listen to me. I don't know what relationship has walked away from you. I don't know what hurt you carry. I don't know what disappointment you've been that when you look in the mirror, you're like, man, I know better than that. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't do that. I don't know what it is that you carry. But for Mary and the answer to this, Luke 10, 39, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Our answer to our worries on a regular basis is found in Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Corey Ten Boom said this, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look at him and be at rest. The reality is our focus oftentimes is on what we're carrying and not on the one that we're walking through life for. Claire Cleary says this, don't wait for life to calm down before deciding to live from a place of rest. There will always be a million things to do. The difference between a chaotic life and a calm life will always be in how you carry them. Don't accept the pressure that belongs on God's shoulders. Man, for some of us, we wake up in the morning, we worry about the world and we worry about our family and we worry about our finances and all those things are good things. Mary was doing good things. The problem was she had them in the wrong order. She was trying to carry the burdens of life when Jesus was like, no, 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 just come to me and I'll help walk you through this. And here's what Jesus does. Watch this. Whatever you're carrying in life, he'll either give you the strength to carry as you spend time with him, watch this, or he'll give you someone else to help you carry it. I'm walking through the airport carrying everything and slinging my son off time after time. And guess what? Four moms show up, right? God sent someone to help me carry. And they probably showed up and thought, typical dad. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, honestly. But it was the best thing that could have happened to me. And for some of you, you're walking through life and you're carrying burdens and you don't know who to go to or where to go to. And Jesus is saying, come sit at my feet for a little bit. Come lean in and, uh, in the spirit-filled life for a little bit and set your worries and your bags and your anxieties and your labels down and just spend time with me. And I'll tell you not just who you are, but whose you are. You belong to me. You're a child of mine. You're a daughter. You're a son of God. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world. John 8:44 says, In this world, you will have troubles, you will have uh, persecutions, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Friend, listen to me. When we spend all our time focusing on the problems of this world, we will be stressed out. But if instead we walk into the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, everything we carry zooms out into the proper perspective. The reality is I've spent too many days, I've spent too many times of my life carrying things that either God says, no, 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 check that at the door, leave that at the door, or not going to him for strength, trying to carry it in my own strength, or it's something I was never meant to carry on my own. God gave me someone to help me carry it. Where are you at with this? I think oftentimes in our fast-paced world, 
we miss the opportunity to come to a point of stillness. I've, I've got three spiritual disciplines for you in just a moment that will lead you to the altar of worship. But before we get there, I like this quote from Parker J. Palmer in his unique perspective book, A Hidden Wholeness, The Journey Toward an Undivided Life. He says this, the soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. If we wanna see a wild animal, the last thing we should do is to go crashing through the woods, shouting for the creature to come out. But if we are willing to walk quietly into the woods and sit silently for an hour or two at the base of a tree, the creature we are waiting for may well emerge. And out of the corner of an eye, we'll catch a glimpse of the precious wildness we seek. For many of us, watch this, our souls are anxious. And Jesus is saying, come spend time with me. And so we, we try crashing through our to-do list, doing more and serving more and, and, and uh, checking things off more. And God says, no, 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 all I want you to do is just wait for a moment. God is calling us to the altar of worship on a regular basis. And you may say, okay, how does, how does that happen? I, Pastor Kip, I've been in church since I was a kid. I understand, read my Bible, I understand, pray, and I understand, attend church. I understand all these things. And probably for every person in this crowd, you probably do. Let me invite you into some deeper scriptural and spiritual disciplines that will help deeply form you. Jesus is flipping our entire approach to life on its head, and he's saying, I want you to worship specifically me. And first, I believe he's saying this in his giant scripture narrative, he's saying this, the first scriptural discipline you need to do is you need to learn how to Sabbath. You need to learn how to simply rest. You and I need to learn how to simply take a step back and rest. If you go all the way back to Genesis in the creation story, and this is where I'm going to try and get fast. I'm going to give you some resources. And I'm going to let you do the deep digging throughout the week. Okay. But go all the way back to Genesis in the creation story. And when God creates man, God, God lines up all this creation. God does everything. Genesis one, boom, 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 boom. And creates man on what day? Sixth day. Six is the number of man. You can go study it. You can go check it out sometime. Super unique. God creates all the animals. God creates man on the sixth day. Bam. So man's created. And then God says, all right, day number seven, here's what we're going to do. And God does what? Rest. Rest. Wait a minute. So man's first entire day on earth is, all right, here's all the things I got to do. I got to make sure I do this. Or is man's first entire day on earth as God creates his creation and then invites him into what? Rest. Man, so many of us work for a place of rest. Like, oh, I've got to get the weekend done. I've got to get the week done, and then I can get to the weekend. If your weekend is a Monday, Tuesday, you can't wait for Monday, Tuesday to get here. But what God created, what God designed you to do, he built you specifically so that there are days, there are times in your, in your rhythms of life, and I don't know what they are for you. Maybe you work seven days a week, and you've got to get creative with it. I don't know what they are for you. But there's, there's rhythms in your, in your way of life that God invites you in and says, all right, now, on this day, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rest. Why? So you remember I'm God and you're not. I'm telling you, God makes man and says, hey, I'm about to give you a job. We're about to talk about the work. But God makes, it, makes him and God says, all right, day number one, here's your to-do list. Rest. Here's a good question for you and for me. How often do you sit back? Do you push back from the, the chair, the, the table? Do you push back from the responsibilities of life? And do you just back up and say, all right, God, today is about me just remembering that you are God and I am not. Maybe for you, it's getting to the mountains and, and hiking. And for some of you, you're like, are you kidding me? That's the opposite of rest. You know what I mean? Like some of you get out in nature and you're like, you feel invigorated and you breathe the fresh air and you're like, ah, some of you wake up in the morning, you breathe diesel fuel and you're like, let's go, baby. You know what I mean, Brother Dean, right? Like God made us all differently and God made us unique. 
We rest differently. For some of you, you can get out on the basketball court and you're like, oh man, this is rest for me. I don't have to think about anything. I'm just gonna run as fast as I can, right? I don't know how God made you, but listen to me. How often do you simply rest and say, God, you are God and I am not? How often you take your burdens and your cares and that person you're praying for, that child, that grandchild, that you're like, I don't know what their relationship with God is, but God, I'm gonna give this to you and I'm gonna step back and say, God, you're God and I am not. The first thing you and I need to learn how to do is we need to learn the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath. Here's a resource for you. If you say, that's what I need, man. I need that. I feel like I'm on the rat race and I just, I don't know when I'm going to get off the hamster wheel. I don't know when it's going to happen. Here's a resource for you. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you haven't, but grab this book. If you're like, are you kidding me? I, I was talking with one of our, one of our sweet church members a little while ago. And I said, Hey, let me ask you something. When do you Sabbath? And they said, Sabbath, are you kidding me? How can I Sabbath with everything I've got to do? And I said, that's, that's exactly the point. You've got to find a time when you just rest. And by the way, let me just push back a little bit. If you work all, all week long, I work all, all week long, I serve up here at the church. But then yesterday was Saturday. Most times Saturday is my Sabbath, right? It's been a busy season for our family. Uh, we had Kids Fest last weekend. It's been, it's been a busy season. So I went to my wife yesterday and I wanted to get some more studying done. I wanted to Sabbath a little bit. So instead of saying, listen here, babe, I'm going to go to the coffee shop, have fun with the kids. I've been gone all week. We put the kids down for their afternoon nap and I went to my wife and I said, true story. And it wasn't for the, <laughs> I wasn't like, let me set this up for a cool illustration. Like I went to my wife, I wanted to listen to a book that, that's helping me grow. I wanted to Sabbath a little bit. I put my AirPods in. I said, hey babe, what needs to be cleaned in our house? <laughs> my wife's like, revival has come. You know what I mean? I said, hey, what needs to be cleaned? I probably won't do it as good as you do it. And she's like, amen, preach right there for a little bit. But I said, what, what can I do? I, I'm, I'm just going to listen a little bit. She said, you can do that. <laughs> she said, you can use the appliance that you use the most, the restroom, right? Uh, you, can, you can go clean that, okay? And so I went, AirPods in, listening, growing while I'm cleaning. Listen to me. We can get creative. We can get unique with what we do, and we can help support our families and each other as we do it. Moms, don't, don't carry the mom guilt of going out. Take a day. Go spend time by yourself and with your creator in whose image you are made. Spend time with him reconnecting with the creator that made you. Do it. That's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Learn how to Sabbath, number one. Secondly, learn not just how to Sabbath. All right, man's created on the sixth day. What happens on the seventh day? He rests. What happens on the eighth day? I don't know, Pastor Gabe. What happens on the eighth day? On the eighth day, God says, I've got a little job for you. You know, every animal that I just made, go name them. So what does Adam do? It's a four-letter word. It's called work, W-O-R-K. That's not the word you're thinking of, but it's a four-letter word called work. And so Adam goes out and Adam starts naming the animals. Why? Because work was created as a good thing, as a part of God's creation before the fall, before the entrance of sin. Work is, watch this, don't miss this, work is a part of our worship. Work, when we give it back to God, is what we do for worship. The problem is Mary had the formula, or Martha had the formula reversed. Martha worked in order to be able to worship. Mary worshiped so that when she worked, it would be an offering and a sweet smelling savor to God. Listen to me, not only do we need to learn how to Sabbath, we need to learn how to work as worship. We need to learn how to not put a divide between the secular and the sacred. So whatever you do, if you interact with people, you do it as the best Christian, the best Jesus representative that you possibly can. Again, as you look at this, here's a resource for you. If you say, man, I've never heard that combined before. Here's a resource for you. Uh, Garden City by John Mark Comer. Or here's another one, Dream Big by Bob Goff is one that I read that just reignited my heart for what am I doing with my life? But this one, I think there's a slide for it back there. Reverend Jake, if you can help me. Appreciate you, bro. Love you. Garden City by John Mark Comer is a good one. Then watch this. Read that one. It talks about how to 
how, to, how to marry those two, how to understand that w- my work, what I do, is a part of my worship. And then learn how to deepen your spiritual maturity by deepening your emotional maturity. Here's another book, and again, you're going to have to research these on your own, but Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. We talked earlier about the deep relational and emotional questions that we often ask ourselves. Watch this. It's impossible. Here's the premise for the book. These are books that have helped me. These are books that have been Bethel moments in my life. If you understand the Old Testament, where I have built an altar to God and I've said, man, God, this is what I'm missing. This is what I'm struggling with. But it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That's a deep truth. Carry it with you throughout the week. Maybe you're there. If you always feel empty or if you always feel angry, if the emotional dashboard of your life is all over the place, grab this book, read it, digest it, begin to learn some of the spiritual and, and deep disciplines that are in it. You say, okay, how can I bring it all together? Elizabeth Barrett Browning said this, earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush is a burning bush with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes the rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Man, I think that's so good. Everything God has given us in earth should point our worship back to him. Here's a practical illustration, we'll be done. Last week, we had our kids fest. We have a picture of that as well. We had our kids fest. We had over 3,000 people on campus, tons of inflatables. Isn't that awesome? Can we say thank you to all the volunteers that helped make that happen? Now watch this. Every volunteer that was over there running an inflatable, every volunteer that was over there making cotton candy, every volunteer that was over there making popcorn, watch this. It wasn't that that over there was work and this over here was worship. Every volunteer that showed up over there, watch this, as they made a roll of cotton candy and gave it to Johnny, they weren't just giving it to Johnny, they were doing it as unto the Lord, as unto Jesus. So everything happening over there was worship and a sweet-smelling savor that we're offering up to God in the same way that everything happening here is worship and a sweet-smelling savor that we're offering up to God. The question is, watch this, if I approach it as just the work I have to do, I will end up in the aftermath of worry. But if I approach life from the altar of worship, that everything I do, I mean, I glorify God in. And everything I do, I'm doing it for the Lord. You look at that. Spread out all across that campus as people are coming in, as people are, are checking people in, as people are on the inflatables. Isn't that, isn't that just incredible what God has done through our relationships with the school next door that we could use that space, through our relationships with the community. We sold over, sold over reserved over 4,500 tickets in the community, not our church, in the community. Those are people that we can follow up on and say, hey, come to Christmas and find out the true reason for the season. Those are people that we can invite back for Easter and say, hey, come, come to Easter and find out why it's not just all about eggs and the Easter bunny, although those are fun things, but it's about a, a, a savior who is risen and is here so that you can have not just this life, but eternal life. These are things you know, and these are things I know that the world doesn't understand, but watch this. As we look at that picture, as I look at this picture, that is not possible without church members who say, I am willing to spend time in the place of worship, the altar of worship, so that the approach to work can take place. That's how it works. And by the way, you may be here, you may say, I didn't even go out there. Yeah, but you come here every Sunday and you faithfully give to the Lord of your tithes and offering. You come here every Sunday and you say, Lord, I don't, I don't even know what it's gonna be used for, but God, you are faithful and the gospel is going out. So I'm gonna make sure that I give to further the vision and the mission of the gospel in Las Vegas, Nevada. And you give and things like this happen. If you look at that picture, I was just thinking about this this morning. If I can just be a church member with you for a little bit. I was looking at this unfinished parking lot over here. So there's Kids Fest, church building, to the right of it, unfinished parking lot. That's where the new building is going. 
But that won't happen without church members who say, I'm going to spend time in the place of worship. God, do you want me to give that? All right, I'll give that. And that's an act of worship that I give back to you. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that amazing that God uses us as church members to give our worship back to him? And here's, here's the awesome truth. If you fast forward all the way to John, 60 seconds, I'm done. Fast forward all the way to John. There's a story about, you ever heard about Mary and Martha and their brother named Lazarus somewhere else in the Bible? where Lazarus actually dies, gets put away, right? And then you find that story in the book of John, John chapter 11. It's further down in the, in the narrative of the gospels. It's further down. And that happens, and the Bible says this, John eleven twenty. then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha learned the lesson. Now, it isn't like Martha's the good guy, Mary's the bad guy. No, no. Mary came later, and they both asked Jesus to do a miracle. And did Jesus do it, yes or no? But the miracle happens when you start at the place of worship. Here's my question, my question Christian. Here's my question for me. Am I starting at the place of worship? Because if not, I'm ending in the aftermath of worry. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for me this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your willingness that you constantly, quietly, consistently invite us into your presence. God, I pray this morning that we would breathe in the presence of the Almighty. I pray this morning that as as we leave this place, every bush in our life would be a burning bush and that we would see your presence everywhere we go. Not just today, not just as we sing songs of your praise and songs of your glory, and not just as we study your word, And not just as we go from here and study your word more and spend time searching the scriptures daily, but God, tomorrow as we show up to work and Tuesday as we show up to work and Wednesday as we get home with our families and in our regular rhythms of life, God, help us to learn this lesson that you're teaching, that we will not lose that good part when we spend time in worship. God, we are not working for a place of rest, but from place of rest. We love you. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.